Today we're studying the church at Pergamum or Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. I know that it is a wonderful day of celebration, Palm Sunday, as we look back into the Word of God and we see as Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey and the people with their palm branches waving in the air, Hosanna, which means, oh save, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Friday night we get to celebrate the greatest act of agape love ever known to man, the sacrificial, vicarious death of Christ on the cross. And then comes Sunday. What a wonderful time. What a wonderful time it is to be a follower of Christ and to represent Him and serve Him. And we're going to celebrate as we do every Sunday, Resurrection Easter Sunday uh, here at Great Hills. So today, we're going to go right back into Revelation chapter 2 and study verses 12 through 17. And we're going to look at this church uh, at Pergamos or Pergamon, which is modern day Bergama in uh, Turkey. You know, I love ecclesiology. I love to study the intensive study of the local church. I remember in Matthew 18 where Jesus said, and upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then Acts chapter 2, many people believe that was the inception, that was the pivotal beginning moment of the church of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit of God came and the church was born out of the 120 and then it spread all the way here to Austin, Texas. Aren't you glad that the church of Jesus Christ is alive, that it is vibrant, that it is doing well? I'm so honored to be a part of not only the macro-Catholic church, which means the all-encompassing large church, but I'm even more honored to be a part of this church here at Great Hills Baptist Church. And when I studied the seven churches of Asia Minor, I can't help but be a little bit uh, introspective and, and just thinking about uh, contemplative about our church and what would Jesus say if he were to write me a letter and have me read it to you on a Sunday morning. You know, that's exactly what happens here in these seven churches. Jesus Christ gives or dictates to John. John receives it, and then he passes it on to those seven pastors, those angelos, those messengers, and they read these messages to the respective uh, churches. And so he says in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, he says, And to the angel, the angelos, the messenger of the church in Pergamos, write, These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, Revelation 1.16 tells us who that is. In one of the descriptive phrases of Christ, he is described as having the sharp, double-edged sword. And he says in verse 13, I know your ergon. It's a very generic term for works, where we get our, our work, ergonomics. I know your good deeds. I know your works, Jesus says, and, and I know where you live. I know where you dwell. You dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where, notice two times in one verse, Jesus accentuates, he highlights this pivotal historical little factoid. Yes, you do all of these things in the very vicinity, in the very place where Satan dwells. But Jesus says, but I have a few things against you, church at Pergamon, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, 
and to commit sexual immorality. A lot of times in the book of Revelation, the author presupposes a very thorough understanding of the Old Testament. That's one of the reasons I love preaching through Revelation, because it helps me brush up on my Old Testament theology. And the author just presupposes that we know about Balaam, and we know about Balak, the king of Moab. So verse 15, he says, thus you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And Jesus says, repent. And remember, he holds the double-edged sword. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear. Acousite, acoustics, let him listen. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who, Nike, Nikon, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We are very blessed, honored, so esteemed and privileged to be able to study your word hear what you would say to us, to be in a free country, Lord, with no fear of persecution from the authorities that oversee us. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in this great state of Texas. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in this very pivotal, cultural, educational, medicinal place called Austin, Texas. Thank you, God, that in your sovereignty you have so positioned and planted Great Hills Baptist Church now for 60-plus years so that we would be a radiant blast of hope and joy and peace and life to the very inhabitants of this great city. God, we come before you today, and we ask for your favor, your anointing, your insight, your wisdom. God, as we preach this sermon today, Lord, I pray that we would not only gain a theoretical, theological, cognitive understanding of what you said then, but God, also we would have a very deep abiding appreciation and understanding of what you're saying to Great Hills Baptist Church today. Father, we love you. We need you. We want you to speak to us. Lord, we want you to tell us the good, the bad, and the indifferent. We want you to show us, God, where we are doing well, and we ask you, Jesus, to show us where we need to improve. God, we are absolutely, totally contingent upon thee. Lord, as we were praying just this morning, as a dear brother quoted the scripture, it's not by might, it's nor, nor it's by power, and nor, nor it's by the will of man, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So God, we pray now that you would speak as the sacred scriptures are now expounded upon as they are preached. Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? And all of God's people said, amen. Many Bible scholars believe that the seven churches in Asia Minor correlate or they correspond to seven different epochs of Christendom or church history. For example, the church at Ephesus would mirror, would be commiserate with, if you will, the church, the early church. And then the church at Smyrna, well, that's easy to correlate because that would be the first 300 years when the church experienced its most intense persecution. And when you come to Pergamon or Pergamos, Many scholars believe that Pergamum correlates with the Middle Ages, the time at the death of Augustine of A.D. 430 till about the 1300s. 
Uh, my church history professor in graduate school taught us, he said the Middle Ages is when the church had a thousand years but never took a bath. I always remember that. It's the dark ages. It's during the time where the church compromised with the world. And so the church at Pergamum is known as the compromising church. The church had many pow powerful, positive attributes, and Jesus gives them accolades, and he, he triumphs the things that they are doing well, but He also corrects them for the things that they're not doing well. As I read the seven churches in these letters, again, I, I become very introspective, and I become very contemplative, and I think, Lord, if you were to wake me up in a vision in the middle of the night, let's say, and you were to give me a, a message for Great Hills, I, I often ask, Lord, what, what would it say? And I you know, I really don't have to worry about that because as I preach God's Word, you get to hear everything that God wants you to hear. You know, last week as we had a, a guest speaker, and I'm trying to do more of that. The older I get, I'm trying to have more guest preachers and speakers. So, well, first of all, that you, you get a break from me because I can be pretty heavy. You know, I, carry, I can carry a, a heavy weight of doctrine and theology, and, 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 and hearing me preach is like drinking water from a fire hydrant sometimes. You, you ever notice that? It's just like it washes over you. So, I, I like to bring in folks, and also I like to bring in people so that I can rest just a moment. And I can just inhale and enjoy my church. A lot of times on Sunday, it's just intense. I, I'm just so excited, and I've got my message on my mind. And like next Sunday, I can hardly wait because I'm baptizing a whole bunch of people next Sunday. And by the way, if you have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism and you want to get baptized, then you come on. You tell us. And we will gladly dunk you and not keep you under more than five minutes. All right? So we, we want you to come. <laughs> And we will baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so I, I was thinking last week as Charles Lowry was here, and I found myself, I, I think I was wearing him out because I kept bragging on our church. And I was just kept telling him good things after good things, what God is doing in the midst of Great Hills. And as I was talking about that time, this guy just jumps up in the choir loft as somebody was getting baptized. And it, it just caught my eye's attention, and it was the chairman of our deacons. And I said, Mr. Lowry, you see that guy up there? You see him standing and clapping with a big smile on his face? That's Doug Sheffield, and he's the chairman of our deacons. And I kept pointing out different people and saying, man, God is, God is doing a fresh work. God is doing a great work in our church. And so you allow me to do that. And by the way, let, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, my mom always taught me, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. If you don't have anything good to say about your church, then don't say anything. But if God is doing something in your life and it's worthy of repetition, then why don't you, why don't you gossip the gospel? Why don't we just bubble forward the, the good work that God is doing in our church? And I believe God will definitely honor that. So as I study with you today, I want to begin with the word of identification. The word of identification that, that Jesus gives to the church there at... Um, can you all hear me okay? Did you lose me? Okay. We'll, we'll get it fixed. Identification. Do you hear me now? Okay, good. I prayed against this very thing this morning. Isn't that interesting? I prayed three or four times, God, please help us with the technology. Because I'm telling you, the, the demonic spiders come out of the woodwork whenever you preach on Revelation. I mean, things, just phenomenal things happen. God bless it. Listen, remember I told you all way back, I said, watch me when I start preaching the book of Revelation. People are going to get saved. The church is going to grow. We're going to bring in more money, and all of those things are happening. It, it's amazing. But also watch this when I preach the book of Revelation. The demons will howl. 
And there will be distractions, and there will be discouragement, and there will be difficulty. But last I read, 1 John 4, 4 still in the Bible, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And they overcame him. Hallelujah. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So I want to begin, first of all, with the word of identification. We're going to identify the culture, the city, the church, and preeminently we're going to identify Christ as we walk through this very, if you will, this this is a pretty cerebral, theoretical, theological moment, but, but indulge me, if you will. You may want to take a moment, just take some notes right in the margin of your Bible because, as I've said before, I really believe you're going to have opportunity to give these lectures, to give these sermons. Who knows how God's going to use you? God's going to call some of you to the ministry to preach, and you're going to break out these sermons. You're going to preach them. God bless you. God's going to raise some of you up to teach in your home and do home Bible studies, and who knows, maybe one day you'll get to share a message on the compromising church. First of all, let's identify the city. The city of Pergamos then boasted 100 plus 20,000 people. Today, Bergama, as you saw on the video, has about half that amount, about 55,000. It was the capital city of Asia Minor, and that is very important. It, it was a very powerful city in antiquity. And as I was praying a moment ago, I was thinking about these words that describe the city. It was a very cultural, educational, medicinal, political, and religious city. Does that sound familiar? In case you have not noticed, in case you have not looked at your Sitzimleben, as the Germans would say, in case you have not noticed where God has allowed you to live, you also live in a very cultural, educational, medicinal, political, and religious city called Austin, Texas. It was located about 100 miles north of Ephesus, and Pergamos boasted the second largest library at that time. The largest library was in Egypt, in Alexandria, Egypt. But they boasted a library of 200,000 scrolls, and a little interesting historical factoid. The king of uh, Bergamine king, about two or three centuries before this, recruited the librarian in Alexandria. He, he tried to bribe him to leave Alexandria, Egypt, and come over to Asia Minor and be the librarian over his 200,000 scrolls. Well, the Pharaoh found out about it, and he didn't appreciate it very much. In fact, he got very angry with the Pergamum king, the Pergamum king, who sought to bring over his librarian. So this is what he decided to do. He quit exporting uh, papyrus, papyrus, the, the materials that you use to write and produce your scrolls or your books. So the Pergamum king, he responded with the development of parchment or animal skins. Many people believe that the very word parchment is a derivative of the word pergamos or pergamy. So it was a very educational, but it's also very, um, how shall I say this, a very medical or medicinal city. Galen, as some of you have heard, Galen, the noted doctor, was born and studied in Pergamos. He and Hippocrates, Hippocrates or the Hippocratic Oath, he and that guy, Galen, they were, they were somewhat rivals, and they were known as, quote, those who founded scientific medicine. It was a city of great prestige, being the capital city of Asia Minor. One archaeologist said this, it was a beautiful city beyond all other sites in Asia Minor, quote, it gives the traveler the impression of a royal city, the home of authority, 
The rocky hill on which Pergamos stands is so huge. It dominates the broad plain of the Cacaius River Valley so proudly and so boldly, end of quote. When you entered in to Pergamos, you were arrested by just almost the elite, erudite atmosphere. It was the political capital of Asia Minor. It boasted great developments in science. And it also was an incurably religious city. In fact, there were three temples alone dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperor. In verse 13, Jesus says twice, you live in the very place where Satan makes his home. There were temples to Dionysius, Athena, Demeter. And there was a famous temple. Now listen to this. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus said this is where Satan dwells. There was a temple there to the Greek god of medicine, the Greek god of healing. I've written his name down because I have a very difficult time pronouncing his name. Listen, being from Alabama, I have a hard time pronouncing my name sometimes, but it's Asclepius, Asclepius, the god of healing. And at his temple in Pergamum were thousands of hissing snakes. Snakes all around the temple there where the people came in hordes by the thousands and they worshiped the God of healing. And oftentimes, as you know, we associate that slimy, slithery creature called a snake with who? With the enemy and the curse there in the Garden of Eden. So that could be one of the historical reasons behind why Jesus said, you live in the very place where Satan dwells. Not only that, but there was a large monument called the Itar of Zeus. It was a 40-foot high temple, and people flocked to that temple to worship the God, the great God of Zeus. And if they weren't there at Zeus, they were worshiping Athena. If they didn't have time for Athena, then surely for Asclepius, they'd go over there and worship him. All these gods, plethora, pantheon of gods and goddesses. And no wonder Jesus said, church, you got it rough. You live in a place where you are extreme minority, and some of you, like Antipas, some of you have lost your very life. Sometimes we think we've got it hard, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes we think atheistic, agnostic Austin is, is just a little bit too much for us. But I, tell, I got news for you guys. It's nothing compared to Pergamos. One writer put it this way. He said, you know, this lofty pagan shrine, this Itar of Zeus, it could very well be Satan's throne of Revelation 2.13, either because it was so imposing in its height or because it symbolized Rome's power. It symbolized Rome's power administered at Pergamum, end of quote. So uh, we've identified a little bit of the city, the, the culture, and the church. You know, the church was a small band of believers. They... Um, they probably started around A.D. 56. It's probably planted by an apostle named Paul on his third missionary journey as he based his headquarters out of Ephesus. And here we are 2,000 years later. If you've heard of Zeus, it's probably because you studied a little mythology. If you've ever heard of 
Asclepius, it's because you have a background in medicine. But here we are bragging on and promoting and promulgating that small band of struggling, martyred men and women for the faith of Jesus Christ. And what is it that we remember? You see, the things that God is involved in, those are the things that last. Those are the things that we remember. Those are the things that we cherish. And so here we have this city, this culture, this church. But let's identify Jesus, or let us let him identify himself. In 1.16, and then again here in 2.12, he says, I am the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword. And I like what David Jeremiah says at this point. He says, what does a sword do? A sword protects, but it also punishes. And a sword represents judgment. And the church at Pergamos had people within it that they refused to discipline. They had those, and next time I I will share with you more in detail who the people of Balaam and who the Nicolaitans were, but basically it boils down to theological heresy and sexual promiscuity. Man, the things, more things change, the more they stay the same. Our greatest challenge in the church in America today is theological heresy and sexual promiscuity. I just heard recently of a wonderful, wonderful church in the great state of Texas. Found out that their music minister was having an affair with somebody in the church for weeks and months and years, and the pastor has to go on a Wednesday night and say, I have terrible news. We've had to ask our beloved brother to step down. He, he can no longer serve here because of his unfaithfulness to his wife. And it, it just seems like the enemy, he, he always wants to target and to punish and to hurt the church of Jesus Christ. And the two primary ways he does that, as the accuser and the deceiver, is sexual sin and theological heresy. So Jesus basically says, guys, if y'all don't deal with them, fill in the blank. If you won't deal with them, then I'm going to deal with them. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what that means, but it scares me a little bit, you know. And so Jesus, he... He identifies, you know, in his omniscience, it's just really amazing. I, I imagine the church at Pergamon is reading this to his congregation going, oh my, <laughs> oh my goodness, he knows. How did he know? Well, he knows everything. Well, guess what, guys? He knows about us. And, and so, first of all, is the identification. But let me not get ahead of myself. Number two is commendation. You know, the Lord, before he, before he uh, corrects or reprimands or rebukes, he's going to commend them. He's going to approve what he can approve. He's going to affirm what he can affirm. First of all, if you're taking notes, number one would be their works, their ergon. And that is a generic term for good deeds. I don't know what all the church at Pergamon was doing that was so praiseworthy, but I'm telling you, they were doing some good things. And Jesus applauded that. He appreciated that. And he said, guys, you're doing some really good deeds. And and probably they were meeting needs, sharing Christ. And by the way, any church that meets needs and shares Christ and engages in good deeds, it's always going to have the approving eye of the author of the church, Jesus. Jesus loves for us to work. Now, he doesn't want us to work to the point where we are burnt out on church and where we just get so tired that we don't have any time for family, don't have any time for anything else. No, most of y'all don't have to worry about that, by the way. By the way, you know, just getting absolutely burnt out serving the Lord. There is lots of room 
for improvement for most church, most churches in America, for people to come out and to serve and to labor and to meet needs and share Christ. Let me give you a good example. Last Saturday, was it? Two Saturdays ago. I showed up, and there was about 40 other people here from our church, and I'm telling you, I just had some of the most fun that I have had in a long time in a church. There was a group of men on the outside of the perimeter, we call them deacons, servant leaders, and they were cutting trees and just having a good time. I don't do that anymore. I used to, when I came here about four years ago, I would get out there and I would cut the limbs, I would load them up, and I did that only for until I got poison oak. Brother, it's over for me. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I hate that stuff, that poison ivy. I mean, I'm just, I'm just allergic to it. I mean, I got covered up. We went to a couple of doctors, got shots, and I was, so they said, hey, we're going to be working inside. Amen. It's me. I want to work inside. So we got in there, and man, they told us that they said it's going to take about three hours. But we had so many people show up, it took us about an hour and a half. And man, we were loading buckets and putting in sheets and putting in toothbrushes and, and putting in fingernail clippers and chapstick. I mean, it was so, we were just packing those things up. And then Bill and Mary D. afterward, we all got around the buckets. We prayed over the buckets. And she said, let me just tell you guys something. You have no idea the lives that Great Hills Baptist Church is going to touch through these 90 buckets. They're going to be people. Their very lives are going to be extended with their HIV and their AIDS because you came and you labored. And there are going to be some that they're going to look around and say, Who, who's responsible for this? And a missionary is going to step in and say, well, it's those Jesus people. Can I tell you about him? And then some of them get saved. You see, that is a good work. That is a good labor. And I, and I shared this one. Let me share it with you again. We, our church is starting to grow at a pretty rapid pace. And many times when people come into a, to a church that is growing, the devil will say, they don't really need you. They've got more help and more money they know what to do with. And by the way, whenever the devil talks, just let me tell you something, it's lies, okay? And so I offer, when I give you an opportunity to do something like that, if you're a new member especially, you need to go ahead and raise your hand and say, I want to do something like that, because that gives me an opportunity to get involved and to serve and to use my hands for good deeds. So Jesus, I don't know what all they're doing, but man, they're doing something that the Lord of the church says, I see your good deeds, good job, church at Pergamon. Secondly, he says, I see your dwelling. I see exactly where you live. It is a hostile, pagan place. And none of you are ready to escape. None of you are trying to bail out and get out of there and relocate. <laughs> let me relocate this church, amen, and get out of here. These people are killing me. Let me, let me leave. And, and they're not doing that. They're saying, I don't care if the devil himself, with all of his snakes and all of his gods and goddesses, it doesn't intimidate me at all. And those church members say, man, we're going to stay right here. God has planted us, and we're going to be a beachhead. We're going to be a bastion of conservative, preaching the gospel, teaching the word of God. We're going to do all that God wants us to do right here and right now. I'm telling you, those are some disciplined, determined church members. And Jesus said, way to go. I commend you for that. I tell you, we, we have a lot of issues in the church in America today, and, here, and it looks something like this. If I don't like my church, and if I don't like what's going on, if it's just getting too difficult, then it's time for me to leave. You know, I, I've, I've been passing by many churches over the last few years, and I think I just need to go and join one of those churches. Or, you know, my wife, she just doesn't look as good as she used to. You know, I tell you, I, she's just not the woman that I married. I, th I think I'll trade her in for something younger, you know, something newer. You know, I don't, I, don't, I, 
don't particularly like this, these people I'm working with. You know, I bet the grass is much, I bet it's greener over there on the other side. And so there is this almost this pervasive spirit of let's quit, let's don't settle, but let, let, let's just get out and just trade it in, trade another religion, trade another church, trade another preacher, trade another woman, trade another job. And I'm telling you guys, the church at Pergamon, they did not have that mindset. They had the mindset, I don't care if the devil himself lives here, God called us here, God planted us here, and this is where we're going to stay. And I'm telling you, Jesus is attracted to that. He's attracted to it. By the way, when I said wife doesn't look good, my wife still looks amazing, by the way. That's what I'm telling you. She's, she's one hot mamacita. I'm telling you, she is. And I... Man, I love my wife. She is amazing. I sat there and listened to her talk for an hour, up, at least 30 minutes in the bed last night to one of our kids on the phone. And actually, I, didn't, I pretended I was asleep, but I was awake, and I was, and it was late, and I was thinking, Lord, they need to have, they need to quit talking, and they need to get into, at least go into the other room. I know why she didn't leave, because that hound dog we got would start barking like crazy. And so Ashley's talking and, and praying for and encouraging, giving scripture and building our young man, Layton up, and I'm just saying, it's a woman of God. And I'm very, very blessed. I, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I, that's not in the notes, but Ashley, you can thank me later, I guess. Amen. <laughs> All right. So Jesus commends them for their works and for their, I just called it, for their dwelling. And finally, he commends them for what I've called their Christ-centeredness. And there are two phrases in closing that I want you to make note of. First of all, he says, you hold fast to my name. Do, do y'all see that? You, in verse 13, you hold fast. The word hold there, interestingly enough, is the Greek word. Anybody? See, it's Greek to me, brother. What, what is it? It's the Greek word kratos. See? That's, my, that's one of my favorite Greek words, kratos. It's what I want to name a male German shepherd. I mean, big raw bone, big teeth. Kratos. Isn't that a masculine name? That's a good name. Kratos means strength. It means to hold on in, in great power. And, and Jesus said, you have Kratos. You are holding up. You're holding fast to my name. It means to seize, to use strength, to lay hold on, to retain. And the majority in the church were tenaciously holding on to Christ. And Christ was generously holding on to them, and, and there was this sweet synergy of relationship with the church at Pergamum and the reigning Jesus Christ, and he commends them, and he says, I know it's hard, but also know that you're holding on. Hey, guys, sometimes it's, it's about all you can do is just hold on, you know. Somebody said, well, you don't know what to do, just take the next step. That, that's a good word. Just hold on. Just do the right thing until God steps in, until God does a miracle, until God intervenes. You just keep doing the right thing. Don't give up. And I don't know why. I don't know why I'm pressing this, and the Holy Spirit is really impressing on me to say this again, even though I've already said it. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't abandon her. You don't abandon Him. Don't abandon your church. 
Maybe some of you are here visiting our church saying, I'm just mad as a hornet at our church. I'm damn so fired up them rascals over that church. I think I'll come to your church and I'll come to your church. Well, you may not need to come to our church. You may need to go back to that church and work it out and love that pastor and help that church be the church that they're supposed to be, okay? So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't, don't dare quit. I, I don't know who, the, who is this for. Who among you are thinking about divorce? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> who among you are thinking about quitting your job? Or who among you are thinking, you know, maybe it's just a little bit too hard and I need to, I need to try another religion. Don't, don't try. Hold fast to his name. And number two, he says, I commend you because you did not deny my faith. That really got over me. That got on me this week. I can't get this first person possessive pronoun out of my mind. Jesus did not say, you did not deny the faith. You did not deny your faith. You did not deny your father's faith. He didn't say any of that. He said, you did not and you do not deny me my faith, the author of the church itself. And so I commend you, even in the midst of the death of Antipas. Now, who was he? We really don't know who he was. The best we can find is that he was a, maybe a leader of the church there in Pergamos. He died around AD 92, and if he did, then that's just a few years before John penned this letter to the church at Pergamos. The believers at Pergamos knew there was a good possibility that severe punishment awaited them. And so Jesus is commending them. He's encouraging them. By the way, the word Antipas, it literally means against all. Antipas, anti, against, and pas means everything. So Antipas, (laughs) he's against all that was not of God, and it cost him his life. You know, I was watching this movie the other night. By the way... You don't hear me say this very often, but if you go see one movie this year, you need to go see God's Not Dead. That is an amazing movie. And I was watching it the other night with my family, and man, there was a scene in that movie, and I'm, this is a spoiler alert, so I'm go ahead and tell you. There's a scene in that movie with this young Muslim girl. Was her name Aisha? Aisha. Man, I just started weeping. Man, this young girl... She said, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. Exactly what those five said this morning. Exactly what many, many will say next Sunday when when we baptize. And when she told her father that, man, he took his hand and he just slapped her across the face, hit her again, and literally threw her out of her own house. And there's a moment there and she's, she's begging her dad. She's going, please, please. Let me in. Let, let me come to my family. He said, you've disowned our religion, and I am disowning you. And I thought, man, that gripped my heart. It reminded me of these people. These people at Pergamos, that's who they were. They were those who stayed true to Christ. Some of them, it cost them their families. Some of them, it cost them their jobs. For some of them, it would cost them, ask Antipas, it cost them their lives. And so Jesus commends them for their integrity for their faithfulness and fidelity to him. So there's a lot here that the Lord commends. But let let me me just begin exhortation uh, in in number three. It says, verses uh, 14 and 15, there are words of of rebuke that the Lord has for the church. I tell you what, that's a good place to stop. I only got three and a half pages preached this morning. 
Does anybody want to guess how many pages I had to preach this morning initially? <laughs> Twelve. Sister, I'm long-winded, but I'm not that, that long-winded. Now, I had eight pages. I was going to try to preach eight pages this morning. It's like the Lord says, you know what, it's okay. You just, just preach it after Easter. You know, I'm like, well, I got it ready. And I said, it's okay. Just preach it. Well, y'all come back after Easter and hear the, the second part. Okay, good, good. Well, then we'll stop. We'll stop. Before we go, though, I, I do just feel very, very inclined and impressed. As, as Brother Daniel was speaking a moment ago in the baptistry, there, there are those among us today that really need to follow the Lord in, in believers' baptism. And allow me just, just a moment to, to share with you that, it's, that it is important that you get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. And what I mean by that is once you come to faith in Christ, the next step is believer's baptism. And it's your way of saying, hey, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and he was buried. And on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead. I believe it's all true. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to serve him. And I don't care who knows. That really is baptism. It is an inward or an outward expression of an inward transformation. So if you're here today and you want to follow Jesus and believers' baptism, then I want you to stand up in a moment. I want you to come down to the aisle and you just tell whoever's standing here. If I'm standing there, tell me. Just tell somebody. The Holy Spirit of God is impressing me. I need to follow Jesus and believers' baptism. I've been sprinkled, or I did it many years ago, and I didn't really understand what I was doing. But since then, I've accepted Christ, and I, I want to— Can I share with you all just real quick? When I was 19 years old, <clears throat> and I had been preaching for a couple of years, and, and the Lord really changed my heart. He saved me in January of 1984 of that year. It took me six months to get up the nerve— to go get baptized because I was, what's the word I'm looking for? What's that? I, embarrassed a little. I was like, man, what are people going to think? There's Mr. Minister. I think I was the president of the Ministerial Association. And it, what, if, if Brother Danny is getting baptized, and oh my, what, what, what has he been doing the last two years of his life? So finally, the Holy Spirit got me to a point almost of misery. Y'all know, know what I'm saying? And the Holy Spirit says, you need to do this. And I'm not going to tell you again. You get down there and you get back. And by that, then I was running. I was getting on down the aisle. I was like, here I come, Lord. And when I did, I'll never forget it. College Park Baptist Church, I walked down that aisle. And I stood there and I looked to my right. And I was like, oh, my. A guy named Jack, pillar in the church, 65 years of age, who was coming forward. He said, I need to be baptized. And I looked again. And there was my first cousin, my roommate in college. He said, I've given my life to Christ, and I need to be baptized. I was like, good night. This is amazing. Here, listen to this, guys. Whenever God leads you to do something, do it, and it's amazing. And so, man, I came, and the same guy that dunked me is the same guy that married my wife and I 28 years ago. And uh, so I I do. I want to offer this to you. If you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, then you need to do it. And I just want to make you a promise. God will bless you. God will do something amazing. Now, don't come to me if you say, well, I've been saved and been baptized. I want to get blessed. Let me get baptized again. I don't baptize people like that. I baptize only those who have never been baptized by immersion or they have, were, were uh, saved. They were baptized. Then they were really saved. Then we'll baptize you again. So that's for those of you 
And any of you here today that never accepted Christ, never repented of your sins and believed on Him, man, we invite you to do that right now. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let's have our invitation and let's go out of here singing, rejoicing, ready to come back Friday and then ready to bring as many people as we can on Easter Sunday. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it instructs us, encourages us. And yes, Lord, it does cut. It, it's like a surgeon scalpel. The same scalpel that cuts to bring healing also uh, Lord, it, it cuts to remove things that shouldn't be there. So, Lord, we pray that through the precision of your word that you have revealed things to our people today that they need to deal with and they need to make right with you. And for some of them, Lord, that is to swallow their pride and to say, I am ready. I am ready to go public with Jesus, and I don't care who sees me. And so, Lord, I'm praying now that the Holy Spirit of God would move upon them. And as soon as we say amen and begin to sing, they would come. And they would say, listen, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow Christ in believers' baptism. Others, Lord, I believe that are here, they need to be a part of our church family. They genuinely come and they want to be a part of the good work, God, that you're doing in our church. And I pray that if you're really leading them, then they will come. And Lord, finally, I pray. Lord, I'm just asking you. There may be a friend here today. Maybe one of my friends that I've invited. Or it may be a friend of our church member who came. They're probably sitting in the back somewhere. <laughs> and they're thinking, you know, this is, this is interesting. I, but I don't know if I understand everything. And I think I need to figure everything out, and then I'll give my heart to Jesus. Can I just speak to you for a moment? You will never figure it all out. So I, I just want to ask you to embrace him. Just take Jesus at his word and say, I believe. I surrender. I give you my heart. Let me encourage you to do that even now. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask you to draw people into your kingdom because only you can do that. We ask now that during this time of invitation that God, Christians would be encouraged and, and rededications would be made and, and people would enter into the kingdom of God and people would surrender to the call to preach the gospel. People would surrender to be missionaries. People, Lord, would surrender to baptism. And preeminently, Lord, they would surrender to your lordship. So we ask you in the strong name of Jesus that your will would be done right here, right now, and amen. Would you stand with me, please? God bless you as you stand to your feet. We're going to sing, Terry, you lead us, and our counselors, our, our pastors, our deacons, they're going to be standing here. Man, what a great song this is, by the way. And why don't you, as soon as we start singing, why don't you just step on out and say, it's me. Brother Danny was talking to me. It's like he read my email. Man, I need Jesus, and I need to get baptized. Why don't you come? Brother Terry, you lead us.